You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. You know, it's been so long ago that I can't remember for sure which book it was. But I remember when I was a boy reading a book that must have been the very first book I ever read that did not have a fairy tale ending. It didn't have the ending where everyone lived happily ever after. And I don't know if the guy didn't get the girl or the troops didn't win their battle, but whatever it was, I remember after reading the book thinking, why did the author do that? He could have made the story end however he wanted to. He could have made it a happy ending, but instead it ended with this tragedy. And we have probably all experienced some moment where our book that we're reading or movie that we're watching or television series that we've been faithful to for season after season, it ends and we say, why did they end it that way? That was the worst possible ending. Sometimes an ending just leaves us kind of bewildered. What does that mean? What really happened? And the ending of Jonah is a lot like that. Chapter 3 would have made for a great ending to this book. It would have tied everything up nicely. Jonah is supposed to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go, so he runs away from God. He gets on a ship headed in the opposite direction. God sends a storm. They have to throw Jonah overboard so the storm will stop. God sends a big, giant fish to swallow Jonah, who then vomits him up on dry ground. God says again, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He does it this time. Preaches a message at Nineveh, and the entire city is converted and puts their faith in God. And you think, man, that's a great ending to that story, but it isn't in there. Because chapter 4 tells us that when everyone turned back to God, that Jonah was upset. He was mad because he wanted them to face God's punishment. And God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And that's how we wrapped up last week. And so today we're going to see this, just kind of this little story at the very end that God gives us, and that's how he ends this, this story. Let's read Jonah chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter just so you can get the full weight of what happens here. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord, Was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and that you would repent of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, made it to come up over Jonah, that it might shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd, but God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, so that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted, and wished himself once again to die. 
and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry. He's talking back to God. I do well to be angry, even unto death, he says. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six core thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and so much cattle. The end. That's how it ends with that question. If you are a parent or a grandparent, if you're a sibling or an aunt or an uncle, if you're just a person, you have witnessed someone throw a temper tantrum. A temper tantrum has been defined by parenting and pediatric literature as a meltdown or a hissy fit that is an emotional outburst, usually, but not always, associated with children or those in emotional distress. It is typically characterized by stubbornness, crying, screaming, defiance, and even in some cases, loss of physical control. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what a temper tantrum is, right? Every one of you is picturing this scenario. When was the last time you saw a temper tantrum? Now, I would bet that most of you are thinking about a kid blowing up over not getting their way. But the truth is that if we're honest, the last temper tantrum you threw may be the most recent one you've seen. Or maybe the most recent temper tantrum you've seen was on TV while you watched the news or some sporting event. There are a few points I want to make about Jonah's actions because they're incredibly applicable to our lives today. Temper tantrums are not just for kids, are they? We all know some adults perhaps even ourselves, to throw temper tantrums. Jonah, the book, was written to the Jews who thought that they were morally superior because, one, they were the Hebrews, the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, and two, because they had kept the Mosaic law. And they felt because of those two aspects... They were better, at least when it came to moral uprightness and standing before God, than most other people. But the book of Jonah was written to them to point out their hypocrisy. And for that reason, every scenario in the book of Jonah, Jonah the Jew, the Hebrew, the Israelite, is the one who is throwing a temper tantrum, disobeying God, doing the exact opposite of what he ought to do. Whereas the pagans, those who aren't Jews, those who don't know of God's law, are the ones who do the right thing. So in the beginning of the book, we have Jonah and the ship's crew. Jonah knows God's truth. He's not following God, not obeying God. The ship's crew doesn't know God's truth, but yet they're the ones that do the right thing. 
Jonah chapter 3, we have Jonah and the Ninevites. The Ninevites were this pagan, wicked group of people that were known for their violence. They turned to God as they should, and Jonah is upset. And so this book is written to people who feel that they've got it put together, that they're okay. And it points out scenario after scenario where the one that they would assume would do the right thing does not do the right thing. And if they haven't felt the message of this book hit them directly between the eyes yet, it's going to wrap up with Jonah losing his temper over something small, which is something that everyone can relate to because we have all been there. The book of Jonah is calling out their hypocrisy. And it ends with this subject matter that would strike them all between the eyes. A couple of weeks ago, I preached at our sister church in Owensboro. And I preached on Ephesians chapter 4, which talks about bitterness and anger. And after the message, Pastor Tim Hall got up and said, Boy, that's something that we can all benefit from. Why? Because anger is something that we all deal with something that we all struggle with. You see, in our culture today, we have this idea that emotional maturity is measured by our ability to mask our emotions. And when someone throws a temper tantrum or a hissy fit, we say, boy, they are emotionally immature. When I get mad, I just hide it better than they do. And in our culture, there's this this idea, this misnomer, that if I can hide my feelings or my emotions, that I'll be all right. And this ends up leading to pretending that we're not mad, pretending that nothing is wrong, living in denial about what we are upset about, or medicating our emotions, self-medicating them, or medicating them with a prescription so that they don't come out on display. What I want you to see is that spiritual maturity is not the hiding of our emotions, but rather spiritual maturity is marked by God's redemption of us, including our emotions. God wants to redeem every part of you, and your emotions are a part of the you that God wants to redeem. You see, you can be a believer who is well-seasoned in the faith, and knows a lot of Bible, but has no control over your emotions. And that is an indication that you are not spiritually mature. Because what Scripture teaches us again and again is that God will redeem every part of us, including our emotions. Think about what Eric read to us just a few minutes ago. Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, Rejoicing is kind of the opposite of a temper tantrum, right? It's kind of the opposite of losing your temper. But then he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. In other words, let people see that you are moderate. And the word moderate means suitable or appropriate. But God's not saying that we shouldn't have emotions or feel emotions, but rather that our emotions should be appropriate. The New American Standard Bible translates Philippians 4, 5 this way. Let your gentle spirit be known unto all men. The ESV translates, let your reasonableness be known to all men. 
The Scriptures don't teach us to be cold or indifferent or numb. They teach us to feel deep emotions fully, but in a manner that is appropriate. It's for that reason that Ephesians 4, Paul says, Be angry and sin not. Did you hear that? The Bible just told you to be angry. You're like, I got that command down. I can do that one. Be angry and sin not. In other words, feel that emotion without allowing it to run you into doing things that you regret. Saying things that you regret in anger. Doing things that you regret in anger. For this reason, Paul would go on to say there in Philippians 4, In everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then he would say in verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. No matter my circumstance, I can be content. In Galatians 5, Paul would tell us that the evidences that we are living in the flesh are things like, not just these, but others too, but these, hatred, wrath, strife, envy, murder. And then he would say that the evidence that we are living in the Spirit looks like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, humility, and self-control. The reason that I'm telling you all of this is to tell you I feel the least mature spiritually when I consider where I am at in regards to the redemption of my emotions. I think if we're honest about the way that we feel, if we're honest about the way that our emotions drive us to do, say, act in ways we'll recognize that all of us have a ways to go. Because I don't think that there's anybody in here who would say, I've never lost my temper. I don't think that there's anyone who would say that, well, I don't have a problem with that. It's something that we can all identify with, that we can all relate to. So if that's the case, everyone in here, can benefit from what happens to Jonah in this passage, there are lessons that we can learn. And just as the morally superior, supposedly spiritual mature Jews could benefit from this, you and I can too. And I believe there are three lessons that we can learn from this ending to Jonah's story. First of all, our anger over small problems point to our big predicament. What is it that Jonah gets upset about? He's he's going outside of the city to watch if maybe God will go ahead and rain down fire and brimstone on the Ninevites, who he doesn't like. He wants a front row seat to this carnage. He's hoping that God is going to rain fire down on them. He builds himself a little booth where he can sit out of the shade in the wind, and God sends a gourd. Now, when we think of a gourd, we think of like a squash or a pumpkin or something along those lines. But the idea is God sent a broad, leafy plant that would provide plenty of shade over Jonah's head. If you have ever worked in a field in the middle of summer, 
you know how glorious the shade can be. I can remember when I was 15 working on this hay baling truck. We lived, we lived in Virginia Beach, but not too far from Virginia Beach was the Pungo area. It was a rural area close to the border with North Carolina. I would drive down there and I would stand on this hay truck that bales of hay would be flipped up and we'd have to stack them on the truck. And I can remember looking forward to the times we did the rows that were closest to the woods because the shade of those trees would give us some relief on the truck from the sun. It was awesome, right? Because the sun was hot. And that shade felt wonderful. Jonah is sitting out in the sun and this broad leafy plant spontaneously through an act of God comes out of nowhere and puts shade over him and he says this is great in fact the the passage even says it made him exceedingly glad we haven't seen Jonah happy this entire story but in this moment he is loving life he has it quite literally made in the shade He's happy. But, verse 7 says, God prepared a worm in the morning, and it smote the gourd. Some worm took a bite out of that gourd, took a bite out of its stalk, and just as fast as it had sprung up, it withered and died. And it provided just about as much shade as a little sapling in the middle of winter. Suddenly, all the leaves were gone, and Jonah is sitting in the sun, and then God sends the wind, which is beating upon his head, and he is not happy. The shade was gone, and Jonah is so miserable that he says, I wish I were dead. Now, listen, I just told you that I totally understand the benefit of the shade, but I have never become suicidal when I got out of the shade. Jonah says, just kill me. If I can't have my gourd back, I want to lose my life. Right? This is an overreaction. Can we all agree? This is an overreaction to the loss of the shade. Listen, we, we moved here from Virginia Beach to Indiana. You guys have four seasons, it seems like, every week, right? <laughs> if you don't like the weather, wait, it'll be awful in a different direction tomorrow. And I have been angry with the weather before, but I've never been suicidal because of the weather. This is an overreaction. And the reason this is happening is because Jonah is clearly upset about something else. And we have it obviously before us because this is the second time in this chapter that he has said, God, just take my life. See, it's obvious to us because of the close proximity of these events that Jonah was already upset when this happened and this was the latest thing to set him off. Losing the gourd was like a fuse in the explosive, right? The fuse is just a little wick. It's just a little little strand that burns fast. But it's the explosive that causes it to blow up, right? 
And there are things that happen in this life that get us upset for a moment and they, they burn off quickly like a match. And as long as that match doesn't hit any accelerant, it's not a problem. But if that match strikes some gasoline, then there's an explosion. And the reason that Jonah explodes this way is not because of the gourd, but because of the explosive material in his heart, the wrath and the rage that he has been feeling that he's already talked to God about. And Jonah is so ridiculous in this overreaction that God says to him, Jonah, do you do well to be this upset over a gourd? And Jonah says, I do well, God. I do well to be this mad, even to death. Have you ever tried to reason with a toddler when they're angry? Have you ever tried to do that? God is talking to Jonah and says, Jonah, is this really something to be upset about? He goes, yes, absolutely, it's something to be this upset about. Why? Because of this explosive material in Jonah's heart has been lit by the, the fuse or the match of the Lord. And what happens in our life is oftentimes there are small things that we overreact to because there is a greater problem down deep. There's a greater predicament. There's a greater anger. There's a greater rage that has been boiling under the surface. And that bump in the road, that harsh word, that person that's being annoying, the guy takes the last coffee in the break room and doesn't make more, and then later microwaves fish in the break room, that guy sets off this anger. Right? Because there's something else that's going on deep down in our hearts. When Jonah exploded like this, it was an indication that there was something else going on. And it was his hatred and rage against the Ninevites. If you find yourself losing your temper over small things, maybe even to the point that you recognize that it's kind of ridiculous you got that mad about it. It's probably an indication that there's something else deeper that needs to be dealt with. It's March Madness season, so I thought a basketball illustration would be fitting. In the December of 2016, Grayson Allen, who's a player for Duke, got in trouble again for tripping another player. Tripping a player is a pretty serious offense, but this was the third time in the season that he had done this, and he was ejected from the game, pulled from the game, and as he sat on the bench, he smacked his hand on the chair next to him while his coaches tried to get him to calm down, and he couldn't. If you watch the clip, it is a textbook temper tantrum. Greg Doyle, who is a sports columnist for the in the star wrote about that when he watched Grayson Allen react that way he said I saw myself and he wrote about how a few years previously when he had been a sports talk radio guest regularly he would often say things that he knew would make the people in the town the fans in that town angry he would say things that would upset the fan base so they would then call and he could argue with them on the phone and the reason he enjoyed that is because he was angry about things happening in his life. 
and it was a way that he could vent his anger. Do you know why there are so many people who just seemingly love to argue? Because there are things that they're angry about in their life, and this is a way that they can vent that anger. It's been bubbling and boiling underneath the surface. When we see children throw a tantrum, we know it's not really about the toy or the piece of candy or the game. It's about something greater. It's about their belief that the world is all about them. Right? And if we're not careful, we can raise children who continue in that belief. And while they may get better at holding their temper tantrums in, they will continue to throw them throughout their life. And as we grow older, our anger and our selfishness may get a little more sophisticated, but that's still the root problem. Our anger, like Jonah's, is rooted in selfishness, not circumstance. The reason that Jonah is so upset is not because of the gourd, it's because he's being selfish. Not just selfish because he wanted the shade, selfish because he wanted God to destroy Nineveh a city of 120,000 people that he did not like, that he hated. His problem was not his circumstance. It wasn't the wind or the sun or the lack of shade. It was his rage and his selfishness and wanting his way. And I say this, and please hear me, some of you are convinced that you would not be so upset if it wasn't for your circumstances if you had a better paying job or a better managing boss, if you had a nicer spouse or maybe a nicer house, if you had a hot body or a fun hobby, if you could get out of school, get out of debt, or get out of town, if you could fall in love already or just get married already or just retire already, then you'd be happy. But it's not your circumstances. It's your selfishness. And no matter your circumstances, no matter what changes come in your life, you will still struggle with this rage, this anger, this lack of contentment. And you know this to be true. Because you've experienced this lack of contentment in every phase of life. There have been multiple times that you've been saying, well, when I get to this, or when this happens, then I'll be happy. And then that thing happens... And it's great for like a week. And then that that same lack of contentment comes creeping back in. Jonah didn't need the gourd to come back. The gourd that 24 hours before he didn't even have giving him shade. Jonah needed his heart to be changed. And God puts his selfishness in perspective with this direct question. He says, you have had pity on the gourd for which you did not labor, that you did not make grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left? He says, Jonah, you're mad at me for not saving the gourd, but you don't want me to save these people. And what could possibly make Jonah have that attitude. It was selfishness. The difference between the gourd and 120,000 people was how it directly benefited Jonah. And he was upset about the thing that affected him 
and Him alone. Are you familiar with Martin Scarelli? He was the, he's often referred to in the media by, as Pharma Boy. He was the young entrepreneur who came to be CEO of a company that made medication. And he jacked up the price of that medication like 4,000% because his company was the only one that made it. People said, how selfish. And he was unmoved by the plight that he had put people in, that they could no longer afford the medication that they desperately needed. Just this past week, he was sentenced in his trial for fraud. He was given seven years, and he bawled like a baby in the courtroom. Why? Because it affected him. It affected him. Why was Jonah upset about the gourd? Because it affected him. If we only get upset about the things that affect us and not the things that affect others, it's a pretty good indication that our indignation is not righteous indignation. It is not justified anger. It is selfish anger. But lastly, I want you to see the last lesson I want you to learn is our God is fully com- committed to redeeming every part of us. Did you notice every occurrence of the word prepared in this passage? Verse 6, God prepared a gourd. Verse 7, God prepared a worm. Verse 8, God prepared a wind. And this exact same word appears in Jonah 1.17, where God prepared a great big fish. See, the same God that had sent the storm and the worm sent the big fish. Just as God prepared to deliver Jonah from the sea with that great big fish, He was working to deliver Jonah from his rage and his anger with that little worm. God worked through all of the details in this entire book to deliver Jonah every step of the way. And while he may have been delivering him from drowning in the sea in chapter 1 through a great big fish, he was delivering him from drowning in his rage and his anger. He's trying to show Jonah, your rage is ridiculous. And he's sending this little worm to take away the gourd so Jonah can see the error of his ways. God is clothed with infinite, majestic power, and He brings that infinite, majestic power to bear in our lives to do big and small things to show us that we are far from Him. That's what He's doing here for Jonah. Earlier they sang, Empty me, God, so that I can be filled with you. Why? God empties us so that we can realize we need to be filled with Him. God brings about these things in our lives so that we can see that we are desperately in need of Him, that we have erred in our way. Throughout Jonah, every element of nature bends to the will of God for Jonah's spiritual benefit. And God is still the same God today. He is able to do everything and anything. He's able to move great, big fish. And He's able to move little, small worms. He's able to do the big and the small to help us see that we most desperately need Him. And God may have caused some things to occur in your life that you don't like, but it's been for your benefit. 
Jonah got himself into the mess in the sea. Jonah caused all of that through his disobedience, but God constantly worked to show Jonah the error of his ways. And there are some things in your life that the only reason there is because you made bad choices. But in the middle of that, God is working in big and small ways to show you how much you need Him, even when you don't recognize it. Throughout the book of Jonah, every element of nature bends to the will of God. The wind, the waves, a giant fish, a little worm, a gourd. Every element of nature bends to the will of God. The only character that does not bend to the will of God in the book of Jonah is Jonah. It's him. And there's probably been some moments in your life where you said, God, why don't you just help me? And he says, oh, if you only knew how I have moved heaven and earth to try to help you. And every character in this story and every element of nature, I have moved heaven and earth, and the only one who is not bending to my will is you. It's you. Earlier this week, I was riding in the, in the truck with Lincoln, and we drove by a horse. And Lincoln said, Dad, I want a horse. And I said, oh, no, you don't, buddy. And his response was, huh? In his mind, he could understand why I would think that he would not want a horse. I said, Lincoln, where, where would we keep the horse? He thought a moment. In a barn. I said, Lincoln, that, that's a good idea, but we don't have a barn. We could build a barn. Lincoln, where would we build a barn? In our yard? Lincoln, we don't have enough yard to build a barn. Sure we do. Lincoln, who would feed the horse? You would. (laughs) Who would clean up after the horse? I would. No, you wouldn't, buddy. He's four. He thinks he wants a horse. He doesn't really want a horse. I know that there are some of you in here that you own horses. And you think that it would be great for Lincoln to have a horse. Please don't give us a horse. (laughs) It was maybe a day or two later, we had a discipleship group. And we were going over the verse where Jesus says, Which of you, fathers, if your son asked for a piece of bread you would give him a snake. He says, if, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does my Father in heaven know how to give you what you need? And what God is saying to Jonah in the ending of this book, is, Jonah, I think, you, I think you, you think that you really want this gourd. But once you want more than anything, What you need more than anything is for your heart to be redeemed. For your heart to be reshaped. You know, I I believe that God wants to shade us from the heat. But He's more concerned with the shape of our heart. He's more concerned with us coming closer to Him. For us having our hearts redeemed.
in the discipleship group, we were talking about how God gives us the things that He knows will be good for us. Some of you, maybe you've prayed before that you'd win the lottery, and God didn't answer that prayer. And you know why? Because God knew it would be bad for you. How can it be bad for me? You respond to that with, huh? How, how could you say that that's not what I really want and need? It would help me so immensely. God knows what it is that you truly need. And He is committed to giving you everything that you truly need. He wants you to have the shade over your head. But more than that, He wants to shape your heart because that's vastly more important. You want to see how much good God wants to give you? You look at the descriptions of heaven. God's going to lavish every good and immensely wonderful thing upon us in heaven. But right now, the thing that he is most desperate, desperately trying to do is get you there to heaven. You know what Romans 8 says? Romans 8 says that all things work together for the good of those that love him. And just a couple verses later, it says this in verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God wants to give you everything that will be good for you. He wants to do everything that will shape your heart. He wants to do everything that will draw you closer to Him. He's not holding back anything. And there be maybe moments in life that you say, God, why'd you take my gourd? Why'd you take my shade? Why'd you take that thing that I really wanted? And God says, because I want to give you something greater and something better. So God, you're holding out on me. God, why don't you give me that thing that I want? And he says, I gave you my son. There is nothing that I would not give you. There is nothing that I would hold back from you. He is fully committed and fully generous to bring us back to him. And whatever he gives and whatever he takes in your life, the purpose will always be to draw you closer to Him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.